the church after Silas. Um, but I did hear both of them in the morning service and have read both of them uh, a number of times over the week as well. We're going to be in the Hebrews reading this morning, and that's, pay, that's Hebrews chapter 12, and it's page 1210 of the church Bibles. And we're looking at love and discipline. And I guess when you put those two words together, um, you'd be rather hoping I might talk more on the former than the latter. Love's one of those things we love to hear about, how God loves us, and discipline, I guess, not so much. But I hope that we'll see as we go through Hebrews 12 that the two are very closely linked. And actually, you can't have one without the other. But I wonder, as you hear that word discipline, uh, we've all maybe had times in our lives where we've been disciplined or we've seen uh, discipline. I, I wonder what kind of images that conjures up in your mind. Maybe a stern headmaster ready to mete out punishment to a, a deserving or maybe even undeserving child. Or another image, a child told to sit on the naughty step uh, to think about what they've done for a while. Or, or that sense of discipline as a, an athlete training, getting in training for a gruelling race, so a marathon. Or for some of you, that sense of discipline may conjure up uh, naughty images like cream cakes. Uh, the sense that discipline means avoiding those things, avoiding tasty food because you have to watch your calories. But whatever image it conjures up and whatever experiences you might have had in the past, my guess is that many of them will be quite negative. That sense, when you hear the word discipline, if we're playing word association, um, it's not going to be positive words or images that come into your minds. And it's quite a negative word in our culture, isn't it? Associated often with a sense of pain or even shame, suffering certainly. But also we can, when we hear discipline, we can focus a lot on the, the instance of being disciplined or receiving the discipline. And we can focus so much on that that we actually forget the reason for the discipline in the first place. The reason for the discipline, that it's not uh, discipline received just for its own sake, but that sense of receiving or giving discipline now for something better in the future. And this is what... Uh, I'd like to suggest from today's passage that in the Christian life, God's discipline to us is a gift from God. And it may be tough now, but it's to help us grow more like Jesus in the future. And when the writer to the Hebrews talks about discipline, if, uh, picking up in verse 7, he comes at it from two slightly different angles, but uh, angles that work together. Uh, and the first way that he talks about it. The first angle he has is that sense of uh, enduring hardship as discipline. So discipline simply being those difficult times in our lives, difficulties that we all face. Now in this passage when Paul, uh, I always want to say when Paul writes to the Hebrews, we don't know it's Paul, um, I think the New Testament writers kind of hedge their bets because they arrange all of Paul's letters in scripture at the beginning and then they put all of the other letters at the end and they put Hebrews right bang in the middle. Uh, so I think they might have had a debate and half of them might have thought Paul wrote it and half of them not. Um, but anyway, it's in scripture. Um, uh, the author to the Hebrews is what uh, one is meant to say. So the, the author uh, in this passage is writing to Christians suffering persecution. That's their hardship. They're suffering persecution because of their faith. And so uh, the author is saying, endure hardship, endure this persecution as discipline. But for us 
it might be different kinds of hardship. Very few of us are persecuted for our faith. Some of us might be, but very few of us uh, in the way that the Hebrews were. But it might be any difficult situation. I mean, many of us here this morning will be facing tough, tough times that may be known to friends or family and may not. May We may be storing them up in our own hearts. Trials that we face at work or in family situations, financial trials, difficult relationships, any kind of trouble. And what God is saying to us through this passage is endure hardship as discipline. Because any kind of hardship God can use to change us and make us more like Jesus. And I know if I look back over my Christian life, that's my testimony that I look at the most difficult times, uh, difficult situations I've had to face, and they've often been the times I've grown most as a Christian. And I've been able to see that sometimes as they've been happening, why they're happening, but other times I've not been able to see that until the future. And I look back and I say, uh, I didn't seek that trial, I didn't seek that hardship, but I thank God for it because I've grown more like Jesus as a result. I've learned to trust God again and find my security in him again. So that sense of trials and hardships and struggles and sufferings that come to all of us, I'd love us this morning to see that God has ordained them, or ordained that they can be opportunities for growth. Hasn't ordained them necessarily, uh, so we can't see them as coming from God, but he has ordained that in the midst of difficulty, we can find opportunities to grow more like Jesus. And the second angle that the writer comes in at is that sense of God disciplines us as a father disciplines a son. He treats us as his sons and daughters as he disciplines us. And that's verse, following on from verse 7. And here we get to that, I guess, more, slightly more familiar sense of discipline. We all get the, the parent-child relationship of discipline. And parents disciplining their children here for their own good. Where the parent not only has got the bigger picture but uh, almost always uh, the best interests of the child at heart as well. And this is a sense of discipline of moulding, deliberately moulding character and directing behaviour. So the child grows up to become a mature adult and not just uh, an oversized child. And it's, it's the kind of discipline that ensures that our, our little boy Silas grows up uh, not just eating yoghurt for every meal. That sense that disciplining for training in character, moulding character, directing behaviour. And as a father disciplines his son, God gently disciplines us all the time. And we should be looking for those areas where he is speaking to us through the Bible, through preaching, through other people, directly through the Holy Spirit, constantly pointing us to Jesus, making us more like him forming our character so that we're more like Christ, directing our behaviour, growing our faith, dealing with our sin. And the challenge for this kind of discipline, as for the sense of discipline, of enduring hardship as discipline, the challenge here, I think, is to receive it. Is to receive the gift that God has for each one of us. Not simply to be hearers of the word, not simply uh, to listen to what God says about those areas of our lives that he wants to change, and respond by saying, Lord, I appreciate your helpful suggestions. I'll have a think about them, and I might put some into practice. And others, to be honest, I might ditch. It's not that sense. It's the sense of hearing the word, hearing all that God has to say to us for our good, and then doing it, 
being doers of the word as well, listening to where God wants to bring our lives in line with Jesus and then doing it. And God's discipline is for our good and it's for our growth because it takes place in the context of love. As it says in verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So if you have that sense of being disciplined by the Lord, then you know that he loves you. It's a reminder that he loves you. We know that he loves us anyway because we look to Jesus and his death on the cross, arms open wide, accepting all who would come to him. But actually, the Lord's discipline for us is a reminder of how much he loves us. Because often, the opposite of love often isn't hate, is it? It's that sense of complete indifference. So if we look at a parent who is not disciplining their child at all, who lets them do from an early age whatever they want to do, we don't look at that parent and think how they love their child. They're letting them, they're giving them that gift of freedom. We're looking at that parent and thinking, do they care? Why aren't they disciplining their child? Why are they just letting them run riot? Because to fail to discipline is to simply say, I don't care enough about how you turn out. And God says, I care so much about how you turn out. God loves us just as we are. We can all come to him, empty hands, warts and all, trusting in Jesus. And God will willingly accept us and embrace us and call us his sons and daughters and call us home. But God also loves us too much for us to stay as we are. He wants all of us to become more like Jesus. He wants all of us to grow in our faith, in our love, in our knowledge. He wants all of us to become more fully who he created us to be because he loves us. He wants that harvest of righteousness that it talks about in verse 11. He wants to produce that in each one of us, that harvest of peace and righteousness in its proper time. He wants us to live well in the world with God and with others at peace with ourselves, with our neighbours and with God. What a great gift. The peace that the world cannot give. God longs to give that peace to each of our hearts. Peace with ourselves, peace with our neighbour and peace with God. He longs for us to be blessed by him, to be a blessing for others. That's God's vision for each one of us. But it does involve our sense of discipline. There are no shortcuts to it. It takes time. Verse 11 talks about the harvest of righteousness and peace coming later on, not immediately. It means staying in that place of difficulty and suffering and hardship and seeing what God can bring out of it. It means allowing God to speak into our lives, to put his finger on those things he wants to change. It means facing the question, actually, am I seeking an easy life? Or am I seeking to live for Jesus? But we're in a sermon series on pastoral care, and we're in a sermon series on we can all, we're all in this together. And we're not alone in this sense of growing more like Jesus. God has given each other to us as gifts. We're looking out for each other. And I want to suggest a couple of ways we can help each other grow more like Jesus in this sense of uh, discipline or if you like when, it, when, it, when we bring it to the sense of how we relate to each other maybe that more that sense of challenge gentle challenge a loving challenge but firstly we can encourage each other with scripture with this passage we can say uh, 
look at Hebrews 12. Becoming more like Jesus takes time. So persevere. Keep at it. Uh, We can encourage each other. You're in a place of difficulty. Endure that hardship as discipline and allow God to mould you through that and change your character and make you more like Christ. Knock off the rough edges. We can encourage each other by saying, that word that God spoke into your life a while back, how are you doing with that? Are you just hearing the word or are you actually doing it? Let me pray for you that God will give you the grace and strength to do that. We can encourage one another as we are disciplined. There is a harvest of righteousness and peace down the road, that it is coming and will come and will grow. But I'd like to suggest that we can be a bit more intentional as a church in how we actively uh, encourage each other in this. And I'd I'd like to suggest that we can actively seek people who will be truth-tellers to each one of us. Now, I mentioned earlier that God uses other people uh, to help us become more like Jesus. People who will speak the truth in love into our lives, who love us too much for us to stay as we are, who show us our own sin because, like David, we're often too blind to see it ourselves. And most of this will usually happen in the context of a a committed, loving friendship. So let me ask you this morning, is there anyone like that for you? Is there anyone who has the permission to speak into your life? Uh, Truths that sometimes are difficult to hear. But someone who loves you, who doesn't, loves you as you are, but loves you too much for you to stay as you are. Who wants you to become all that God has for you. Is there anyone like that for you? He will encourage you towards what it says in verse 2, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Have you given anyone or a group of people permission to do that? Over the years, I know myself, I've met with a number of different groups of men, and we've given each other that permission to speak the truth in love into each other's lives. And the times where we've met, often it's been uh, once a week, once every couple of weeks, they've been... There have been times of vulnerability that haven't always been easy, but they've been life-changing as well in that supportive environment. And I've been truly blessed to have friends who've loved me enough to show me where my life doesn't match up to Jesus, who encourage me onwards to be everything that God's created me to be, spurring me to that harvest of righteousness and peace. And something that we've talked about and St. Michael's mentioned a couple of times over the last six months is something that things that are called tie groups, T-I-E, which simply means three is enough. So it's like a, a triplet, a prayer triplet. And, but with a slight difference. And, and the sense is to find two other people with whom you'll meet regularly. You'll read maybe a passage of scripture together. You'll ask each other how you're getting on in different areas. Now, you may choose to be vulnerable and accountable in certain areas. And just say, look, this is an area where I just want you to ask me how it's going over the next few weeks and months. Because I know that I slip up here uh, and I find it difficult. And then you'll pray for each other. And encourage each other. And you'll be watching out for each other. And you'll be praying for each other during the week as well. And when I've been involved in groups like that, it has been transformational. And without that, I think I'd be a, a different person today. And it can, you can meet in homes, you can meet in cafes, you can meet in the workplace. The idea is it to be, for it to be a flexible kind of group. And a number of folk in St. Michael's are already in groups 
like that. And uh, we've talked about it in staff team a good seven or eight months ago. And uh, after that, Julie was inspired to start a Thai group and is just going to come and tell us a little bit about how it's going for her. Yeah, well, um, those of you who know me will know I've been around in St. Michael's for a long time. So there's been a lot of people over the years that I've been privileged to have really, you know, good relationships with and still do. But when we talked about Thai groups at staff meeting, I just had a sense that um, maybe it was an opportunity for me to get to know some people I didn't know so well. And uh, I had no idea who would be appropriate. So I, I started to pray and I felt that the Lord put a couple of people on my heart. So one was Coral Hart and the other was Claire Jessup. And I approached them and they said, oh yes, let's go for it. And there's some sort of guidelines about how to do a Thai group. So we started to meet. We meet usually every couple of weeks for about an hour and a half. And I have to say, it's been one of the best things um, in my life the last six months. It's been such a privilege to actually get to know them, to have that sense of sharing our lives with each other, to you know, have people to pray for us about the stuff that's going on, um, how to encourage each other, but also with... Um, you know, we, we've been using the prayers of Paul, St. Paul, to sort of like pray for each other between times as well, and um, to encourage each other just to find opportunities to share our faith, um, to, so to be intentional to watch them, and, and then to encourage each other once we've done it, you know, with, with actually telling what God's done. So it's been a, a real blessing, a real inspiration, and, you know, I didn't know who to ask, and I started praying, and God showed me. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh, who could I go with, then, you know, get praying, and Martin will perhaps say a bit more about that as well. Yeah, great. Thanks, Julie. So it's as simple as that, and uh, a real blessing as well. And that sense of, yeah, if, if you sense it is something for you, then you might immediately think, there's two people in my mind, uh, I'd love to do it with them. Or you might think, you know, I long for that. I've no idea who to go with. So I just pick up on that encouragement from Julie. Just hold it before the Lord. Ask him to show you. Is there other two other people who would be good for me to do this with? Talk to your life group leaders. Um, They might have suggestions of how it could work, even in life groups. Come and chat to Julie or another member of uh, the clergy. And uh, we might be able to give you a few pointers as well. And just to finish, a couple of pitfalls to avoid, really, and a challenge for all of us. And if you look back to verse 5, here we have the two pitfalls, I think, for when we talk about discipline. Because discipline is a real blessing, but it can be, uh, it can be difficult, it can be painful. As we stay in that place of discipline before we see the harvest of peace. And righteousness, and the, the two pitfalls. The first is uh, where the author says, "My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline." And I, I, that's the first pitfall: to, to brush it off, to think it doesn't matter, to think it's not important for me that I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for years, or I've just become a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven, and do you know what? That's fine and I'm doing all right. It may slip up, you know, don't we all look at King David? Why are you pointing the finger at me? Look at what he did. And um, do you know what? I'll just get on living as I have lived previously. And it's that sense, I think, here that there's a danger of being a hearer of the word and not a doer. Making light of the Lord's discipline, making light of that gift that God gives us. And so this is for you because I love you to make you more like Christ and us saying you know what thanks but no thanks the second pitfall is to lose heart and that's again verse 5 do not lose heart when he rebukes you 
when we face rebuke or hardship, the other pitfall is we allow it to crush us. We allow it to crush us because we don't realise it comes in love from the Lord. We don't realise it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. We don't realise God's grace is sufficient. It's a means for our growth. We don't realise that discipline is there to free us and not to crush us. And so as we receive the Lord's discipline, as we um, seek to endure hardship as discipline, as we welcome uh, God's reminders of where we fall short, and as we challenge each other and receive the truth in love, then we do well to avoid making light of the sin that we see in our own lives. And we do well to avoid that sense of allowing sin to crush us. And instead, let's look right at the beginning of this passage in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So in this, let's remember that discipline comes within a relationship of love. And let's fix our eyes on Jesus so that we'll never grow weary, we'll never lose heart. Let's fix our eyes on the one who won our faith for us and who's promised to bring that faith to completion, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's fix our eyes on the one who willingly went to the cross for our sin. Let's fix our eyes on the one who'll give us everything we need, the one who we've been called to become more like, but the one who has all the resources of heaven uh, ready for us as we seek to become more like Jesus.